Welcome to Now Playing, the movie review podcast. Come on! Ah, Come on, you show me! You show me, you hear? Come on! Hosted by Arnie, Jacob, and Stuart. I must admit, some of your friends have a macabre sense of humor. I just hope these kids aren't having an adverse effect on you. Today, we are reviewing Happy Birthday to Me. Surprised? I hope you are. I planned it so you'd never suspect a thing. A Podbean backer review chosen by Matt Wessel. Dear God, what have you done? This podcast is spoiler-filled and contains harsh language. See, we've got to find the link between your trauma and your friends. Listener discretion is advised. Now, take a look. Take a good, long look. Today we're discussing Happy Birthday to Me. (laughs) Starring Melissa Sue Anderson and Glenn Ford. Directed by (laughs) J. Lee Thompson. More people here. There's a lot of people in this cast. There are, but the ones you've heard of are Melissa Sue Anderson and Glenn Ford, and maybe you've heard of Matt Craven. He was in X Men First Class. I think as a walk on. He was a CIA director. He had some couple big speaking <laughs> parts. This is the now playing host who, in some ways, is a special case. Arnie. This is Stuart. And this is the host who was an experiment, Jacob. And it's true. It is your birthday. If you're listening to the show on the day of its release, September 12th, we are here doing this movie because Arnie Cavallo is turning another page. I'm not ashamed. I'm 43. (laughs) I'm not a woman. I don't have to hide my age. All right. I wasn't going to out you, but yes. We are here to celebrate with a unusual present brought to us by a very gracious donor. Matt Wessel, one of our Podbean patrons, went the big donation to pick two movies for us to review. One of them we're doing today, Happy Birthday to Me. One of them we're doing in two weeks on Stuart's birthday. Our birthdays are exactly 50 weeks apart. He's 50 weeks ahead of me. Yeah, we're always the same age for two weeks. I always enjoy that. And then I become older. (laughs) And we'll be discussing Bloody Birthday. So Matt, thank you so much. We decided that we would release these on our respective birthdays. And that brings the question. We got to ask, Arnie, what is the weirdest or worst birthday you ever had and the weirdest or worst gift you ever received on that birthday? I hate birthdays. Mm. Every year is my worst birthday. They remind you of your mortality. (laughs) I'm actually, I look up all the celebrities who died at that age to see who I will be among if I don't make it another year. Uh, (laughs) This year it's John Candy. Oh, okay. A favorite of yours. That's good company. So if I don't make it another year, John and I went out at the same point. Mm. It's not even a death thing. When I was a kid birthdays were like holidays. I honestly, birthdays and Christmas, I thought it was a shame if I had to go to school on my birthday. I was all about the presents, getting the presents, and I liked that. I remember one special birthday. I do have happy birthday memories from early childhood. I think my 10th birthday, Stuart, you were there. My two big interests 
were Mr. T and Voltron. Mm. And I think you gave me both a Voltron coffin for my figures Mm -hmm. that had a light and you gave me some Mr. T gold jewelry, I some did. fake jewelry. <laughs> and so, did you give him the haircut too? <laughs> <laughs> That's this year. That's the end of this episode. <laughs> so after that, I mean, being ten years old, we went outside to play. It was a warm summer night, and I was wearing my Mr. T jewelry and using that coffin like a flashlight. And I specifically remember you saying, "Ah, there was a Voltron flashlight. I almost got you. I should have gotten you the flashlight." <laughs> But once I reached an age where gift giving was no longer a big thing, it's always been a sense of disappointment. Like I've never had a great birthday, despite going to Vegas for my 40th birthday and having some good experiences in Vegas. That day itself kind of sucked. And my worst birthday may also be a childhood memory. The first time I realized my parents didn't give a shit about my birthday, I thought it was a national holiday. My parents were like, yeah, we're going out of town for your birthday. <laughs> I think I was seven. And you weren't going with them? No, they were leaving. I'm like, you can do that? That's so- I thought the law said you had to worship me on September 12th. And so the babysitter threw my birthday party at Chuck E. Cheese. Ooh. This does sound like a slasher movie. It does. Exactly. With you as the killer. And Stuart, you remember this one, and I'm just going to wait for you. You'll probably start laughing immediately. Mm-hmm. The babysitter was carpooling us. You went. A mutual friend, more your friend than mine, named Ronnie went. Mm-hmm. And you two were friends, but I always felt like you two were a couple. And I had my girl, mm-hmm. the blonde-haired girl from mm-hmm. down the street named sure. Kristen, who I was making out with at age five. And yeah, it was very salacious. It, behind the garage and things. and. Mm-hmm. I was so happy you were there with Ronnie, and I'm like, well, here comes my woman, and I had this big grin on my face, and I got out of the car to Wait. let her in. Oh, it's coming back to me. It's like a repressed memory. I'm, I'm in the sh- machine, like this movie, writhing, okay? I remember Stuart's description more than the events. I'm standing there with a big... <laughs> Yes, you were there and then you weren't there. (laughs) Yes, I had a big grin on my face. I suddenly disappeared as I tripped and fell. And trying to recover quickly, Stuart heard a thump of my head crashing underneath the car. Yeah, the sound came from underneath me. Like he disappeared and then boom. And I I was so embarrassed and I was seven. All of my birthday photo parties show me red-faced and crying while crying. holding an ice pack to my head. Yeah, I, that was the ice pack birthday, yes. <laughs> that is funny, because w- one of my worst birthday memories was a head injury. Like, I was nine years old, slumber party, just invited way too many friends, probably like 12 nine-year-old boys. Like, pictures I've looked at of that birthday, where we are like dancing around like Lord of the Flies, just out of control. Time to go to bed, all sleeping on the floor in the living room. People are just running around. Someone just stepped on my head. And it, I was so mad because it was dark. We're just running around in the dark. I was so mad. It's my birthday. It's my party. I get up and just go to my room and slept in my room for the night. Well, at least you didn't kill everybody. <laughs> I felt like it. I, I have had a couple crying alone in my bedroom birthdays, but probably my best birthday of all happened 
in my 20s, I'm not going to be very specific about the years as people who listen have known me for a long time and can peg any year with who I was dating at that time. But on this one particular birthday, it was a weekend birthday, decided to go see a movie with my girlfriend and it was a bad slasher film. Can't say which one or it would peg the year. <laughs> and we were the only two in the entire theater so I had an Alanis Morissette kind of moment. It was really kind of nice. <laughs> Worst movie I'd seen, but a great theater-going experience. Mm, okay. Well, I was going to think that this might be your favorite birthday, because we're here to talk about a slasher movie on your birthday. A pretty successful one. One I've never seen before, though. I have seen moments from this movie, but I come to this as a newbie, and I don't know that I ever would have gotten around to it if we hadn't had the donation prompt. I've never seen this movie. It certainly was one I knew the video box from. I mean, I would just go to the horror section, especially from like 87 to 90, and rent whatever. But this one I hadn't heard of. They were putting some stuff in horror that wasn't necessarily horror. I was renting Saturday the 14th, <laughs> and I tended to be more drawn to newer releases. I did rent Phantasm and some of that in that time. But happy birthday to me. It had a cheap looking box. It was just black. It didn't have a lot of detail. It had the guy with the shish kebab through the mouth. It was always one I considered because that was a cool poster. Never seen a frame. Never even thought about it. I was surprised when it came up. I'm like, but slasher? It's been a long time since now playing's covered a simple slasher. So I'm in. This is weird, guys, because a genre I'm not usually into. I guess I'm the fan. I've seen this before. Oh, okay. I think I even posted a mini review on Facebook like maybe three, four years ago when I watched it. And the reason I watched it is similar to what you said, Arnie, that box art. You know, Facebook, what it's really good for is remembering people's birthdays. <laughs> and one of my acquaintances on there, he's a big horror guy. And someone posted that picture of the guy with the shish kebab <laughs> going through his mouth. And I'm like, that looks like a really over-the-top, like, gratuitous film. Like, I might be into that. Like, I do like movies that just go over the top with its gore and that. So I'm like, oh, I'll check that out. So I checked it out. I got it from Netflix. So I have seen this one before. Again, years ago. Wow, I'm stunned. Yeah, me too. The, I'm the newbie. But I have seen this movie twice. We aren't, of course, recording this on my birthday. There's some editing to be done and such. And You don't like to edit on your birthday? I have for the past five years, but it's not my favorite thing to do. But we're recording this shortly after I took a fishing trip with some friends. It's where I actually discussed this fishing trip. I guess I've been going now for three years in a row. In 2014, I talked about watching Transformers. This is where you shoot guns and stuff, right? Yeah, we shoot, we fish, <laughs> we go to strip clubs. It's a fun time. And this time, they only have a DVD player and a low-def television. So it's like, grab what DVDs you can. And I'm usually pretty go with the flow. You guys bring whatever movies you want. But last year, they made me watch Ford Fairlane. So this time, I'm like, I'm going to be a little bit more involved happy birthday to me happened to show up i got the dvd so i took it down there i'm not allowed to take movies there anymore and i'll admit i got pretty sloshed during it and i wasn't exactly <laughs> taking notes uh, i started drinking tequila heavily about oh. 20 minutes in mm. i finished the fifth of tequila before the end of the movie mm. so <laughs> i did rewatch it sober and taking notes but my friends weren't fans <laughs> yeah even sober it's hard to follow i can't imagine what how you took it in inebriated yeah fifth of tequila ouch 
I've given up those kind of birthdays. But Matt, thank you one more time. I do want to say it's been a very happy birthday because of you. Yeah. So your friends didn't want to see it. Why does Matt want us to see it? I felt like I had to ask that. What he said was he thought it was a great, he used the G word, slasher film with very inventive and fun kills on par with Friday the 13th or better. And it's a great whodunit, which easily beats out the original Friday the 13th. If you go back to that very old review, I know a lot of people are like, it's not as good as your current reviews. But we said everything we had to say about that film, and we really went into the whodunit aspect. Was it the guy running the camp? Who was the killer? So Matt thinks this is an even better whodunit, and... He says this is the gold standard from the 80s that he watched a lot around age 7 or 8. Of course, a very impressionable age. Anything you watch then is going to be something you remember fondly. He said it was on HBO a lot. And so this really was one that stuck with him. Oh, interesting. Well, I mean, I definitely think it's beyond argument that obviously it was influenced by Friday the 13th. Halloween. This was the dawn of the 80s slasher. And very specifically, get your holiday in and create your killer <laughs> yeah. around such uh, tradition. And this is the birthday killer. The filmmakers were pretty adamant in interviews at the time to say, it's just Halloween. Halloween caused everything. And they said that by the time they went to film, so many holidays had been taken, but there hadn't been a birthday one yet. Halloween copies everywhere, including Friday the 13th itself, all trying to be John Carpenter. Yeah, and these producers also, they made two of them. They also made My Bloody Valentine, which I still haven't seen. Uh, I've only seen the 3D one. We did a review of it way back when. Yeah, yeah. That's not the one to see, from what I can tell. (laughs) But they're Canadian. This is a Canadian slasher. When you don't have enough money, go north. Then you can turn that two and a half million dollars. And east. This is French Canadian. Yes, yeah. The second I saw the bidet, I'm like, that's no American bathroom. Yes! My (laughs) wife's like, this isn't an American film. Where was this film? There's a bidet right there. Yeah, indeed. Montreal, this summer. You know, everyone's wearing scarves in this movie. Movie, but you cannot see any breath. If this were winter in Montreal, you would know it. But yeah, summer Montreal, 1980. They sat on it for about a year. It came out two weeks after Friday the 13th, part two, and was a modest hit here in the States. Ended up making about 10 million, which at the time is was about half of what a Friday the 13th movie would make. But Still a really good take for a knockoff. I think I read somewhere that it was the most successful movie made in Canada until Porky's. Not adjusted for inflation. It made about the same as Jason X. So (laughs) it's really... The only Friday the 13th I've seen. Oh, okay. Well, so, all right. So that's important to note. You, although have seen this movie before, do not know the original Friday the 13th. No, I'm trying to catch up. I've watched the original Elm Street, but no, I have not seen that original Friday the 13th yet. Okay. Yeah, you're right. It was written before that movie came out, but it was filmed during and after that movie came out. And I think that definitely had an impact on how this story turned out. They started off with one script and it became something else during production. And it makes for a very interesting story. One thing I got to say about this movie up the top, I had no idea where it was going or what it would do next. And something else, though, if you think about the influence of Friday the 13th over Halloween, the big thing Friday the 13th brought was Tom Savini and the gore there. This movie is censored. There was quite a bit more gore, more brain surgery that we'll be talking about. And despite 
not being full of nudity and really low gore in my mind, the video we're watching was labeled one of those UK video nasties. So on the borderline of censorship, copies were seized. And here in the States, there's a couple different versions too, which I didn't know until after I'd already watched it both times. But there's the original theatrical version, and then there's the version that was the first DVD release and some VHS releases that discoed it up. Now, I don't know why you'd disco it up in the later 80s and 90s when you were doing this. Maybe it was a rights thing with the score, but there's two different versions. One has a really cheesy kind of Donna Summery disco song up top, wow. and the other has a piano score. Yeah, I heard, I saw that version. Yeah, it's... It's the one to see, I probably would guess. <laughs> yeah, less disco the better. Mine had the piano music. Yeah. There is a disco song, but it's like on the radio at one point. It's, yeah. It's not yeah. the score. Yeah, it's for the sexy stripping down for the bath scene. Yeah, that's porno music. That isn't disco. I was bouncing to wow wow. Anyway, I think that, Arnie, you need to explain what you can about this plot, and we can get into Happy Birthday to Me. Yeah, please do. I've seen it twice, and I still don't know if I get it. <laughs> I'm sure I don't. Makes more sense than Transformers 5. But it's a plot summary, not a character rundown, so I'm not going to mention a lot of the deaths. Melissa Sue Anderson, from Little House on the Prairie, the older sister who by this point in the series was blind, plays high school senior Virginia Wainwright. She had a rough start at school. As soon as starting, she and her mother got in a car accident. Her mother was killed and Virginia suffered brain damage, I think. But she was able to recover from the brain damage thanks to experimental treatment that restored her brain tissue. But now she's back in school and even a member of the top 10 clique of rich kids that rules the school. And she's also coping pretty well with her mother's death, thanks to help from her psychiatrist, Dr. David Faraday, played by Superman's dad, Glenn Ford. Yeah, a big star. A surprise to see here. But as Virginia's 18th birthday approaches... And she looks, what, 26? <laughs> I was wondering, were they in high school? Were they in college? I could not tell. The first scene, they talk about going to Harvard. So it's high school. But uh, I counted the candles. There was only 10 on there. So I'm like, <laughs> I, I, you know, I just don't know how it works in Canada. <laughs> Melissa Sue Anderson was 29 when this was filmed. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> but as her 18th birthday approaches, her friends start disappearing one by one. We see them individually murdered by someone wearing black gloves and the school's black and gray scarf. And on the weekend of her birthday, she has become convinced that she is the killer triggered by memories of her mother's death. But the truth comes out that the killer is Virginia's friend, Anne, who was wearing a Virginia mask. Because, of course, in the top ten click, one of the group is specializing in taxidermy and latex makeup effects. It turns out Virginia is Anne's half-sister. Virginia's class-hopping mother had slept with Anne's father, and Virginia was the offspring of that affair. Because of this, Anne's mother left, so Anne decided to frame Virginia for the death of all their friends. Or at least six of them, because in the top ten, four don't matter. Yeah, all, all of Anne's friends too, right? Yes. Like, she was friends with these people. Yeah. Anne and Virginia struggle over a knife and the blade accidentally goes into Anne as the police walk in to see Virginia holding the blade and surrounded by the corpses of her friends. Perhaps setting up an insanity defense, Virginia starts singing, 
a very creepy rendition of Happy Birthday to Me as credits roll. Yeah, surprisingly intricate. I gotta say, for a slasher movie, usually you at least know who the targets are, right? I was fooled. I hear that there is an elite ten preppies that rule the roost at a boarding school. Okay, set them up, knock them down. But they aren't actually the target. Some of those people are the target, but it fools you right away into thinking that these people are going to be killed for being rich. And for being in the clique. I mean, I kind of got a Heather's vibe off of the clique and the fact that one member wasn't in the clique and then became in the clique. So I saw that there wasn't enough outside viewpoints here. We didn't get to see like the geeks who felt left out of the clique. We didn't get to see that old trope of we used to be friends, but then you became cool and have left me behind or any of that. But it does seem like this would be kill the popular kids, like prom night or something like that. We don't even really see them interact with other kids. Like, we see them interact at a pub with old people. That's why I thought they were in college. (laughs) There is one black girl, and she throws shade on Alfred when he enters. But otherwise, it's Canada. They're all white. All the women look the same, too. I was having trouble even keeping track of who the characters were. But, you know, you got to start with the kill. And that we get. Bernadette O'Hara is off to meet her friends at the pub when she runs into the very Irish headmistress, Miss Patterson, who is lassoing her with her dog leash <laughs> and they're wearing the scarf this is where we're introduced to the scarf it's hogwarts I, right <laughs> it certainly looks that way uh, and i didn't notice that they were both wearing that scarf initially it's not until we see this first kill and it really makes a point to show us the killer's scarf and the killer's black gloves she gets in her car she didn't check the back seat the hands come up around her neck she plays dead and then gets back up that was a little confusing because in this kind of movie you usually only die once these are the things that scream mock so well but what does she do does she run for help does she scream after the people that she saw just walk by no she runs to her eye light she goes to a corner <laughs> where she can whimper and you know the pho- photography is such that she can look incredibly meek and powerless i guess you just accept this if you're watching a slasher like this is the thing that bugs me i'm like why are you running to the corner i do have to watch these in the privacy of my home because i'm just yelling at the screen the whole time but she knows her killer is what we get here because when she sees the person walk toward her she says thank god and then the throat gets slit this is very much like was seen with friday the 13th part one because all those kills much like halloween the first ones were always in a first person perspective you'd see the hands you'd see the blade and a couple of times somebody would go oh it's you right before they were knifed so I could definitely see why anybody at the time, and still to this day, would look at this and be like, it's an imitation Friday the 13th, because it's taking a lot of those tropes. Yeah, and again, I prefer this as a setup. Slasher movies, I think we're used to thinking about them being about the killer. What is the mask they wear? What are the jokes they're going to tell? What are the puns they're going to make? But yeah, the fact that we won't know until the end of this movie, really the final seconds, who the killer really is, is something that makes it more fun for me. I enjoy piecing it out, and I did not guess. You can't guess. It's impossible to. I remembered seeing part of the climax of this movie 
where I thought I saw the killer. I assumed, and I think I would assume even if I came into this completely cold, that Virginia was the one killing her friends. I had seen this before, and I forgot that it wasn't Virginia. I assumed that too. I mean, they set that up right away after this first kill. You got the top 10 hanging out at the pub, and Virginia's the one that's late. She's running in to meet them because, come on, she's been out killing someone. Well, one thing that happened in this is this film did undergo a heavy change in direction along the way. And I think the original ending was certainly more original. I mean, I can't think of anything that it would be aping in that it was Virginia's mother through Virginia's brain, like the brain transplant, like Virginia's mother donated brain tissue to save her daughter's life. And so Virginia's mother was in Virginia's body doing the kills. Yeah, I thought that's where it was going when I originally saw this, and I liked that idea. Yeah, I definitely think there are clues along the way to tease that. We'll talk about it when we get to the grave site. But yeah, here in the beginning, yeah, you're given two suspects. Everyone is waiting for Bernadette, and two people come late, and one of them is the main character who we're not supposed to suspect, because, oh, come on, she's a little house on the prairie girl. And then, of course, creepy Alfred, who does taxidermy at midnight and has a pet rat. They make it too obvious. He's even kind of wearing the same coat that we kind of half saw the killer wearing in the previous scene. Well, how is Alfred in this top 10 clip? Because <laughs> have you seen his latex work? I mean, does that get you in the top 10 click? Now, again, I was getting pretty sloshed the first time I watched this, but I thought for sure he was possibly the killer. I mean, I've seen a lot of 80s horror films. I saw Slaughter High, where the picked on geek brings everybody back to kill them and that sort of thing. Looking at Alfred, he is the typical geek. He'd even played Spaz in Meatballs a couple years ago. So he's not one of the cool kids, but he's in the top 10. That feels like a rewrite that happened somewhere along the lines, too. Uh, there's always a misfit. I never, it's too obvious for me. I, I don't watch a lot of slashers, but he was too obvious. And I just, there's always a misfit in the top clicks. No, there isn't. They're always the perfect kids. In Hollywood, there is. Yeah, and, uh, you know, you keep someone imperfect around so you can make him the butt of the jokes, and he's got a pet rat. You keep him around so that you can pull this prank. One of them is a real prankster. God, what a jerk this guy is. He doesn't die fast enough. In fact, he doesn't <laughs> die at all, but Rudy wants to punk the Shriners that are singing 100 Bottles of Beer on the Wall. I wanted to punk him, too, man. That was a, They start over. That's annoying. <laughs> oh, my God. Who does that? That's like a car ride song. That's not you. something you actually do while drinking and to do it in front of other people and starting at a hundred i mean 10 maybe but a hundred yeah you got to do something to stop these shriners i agree maybe get out of the bar by the way my favorite <laughs> bit about the entire thing the bar is called the silent woman pub and the shingle is a german lass with her head cut off i guess it's both a reference to bernadette from the previous scene and i don't know is this where you go after you kill people slasher pub i don't know but it's kind of funny one thing i'll say is this movie is fairly slow paced with its kills Halloween had a very slow buildup, but there was a lot of Donald Pleasance running around and spreading fear. And Friday the 13th had a bit of a slower buildup as well, but when the deaths started coming, I mean, they really happened all in the second half hour. Here, we start with a kill, 
And we're going to have a half an hour of getting to know these characters before we get to the next. Yeah, this movie, it's almost two hours long. It's an hour 50. It could have used 20 minutes less. Hit that 90 minute mark, please. But intricate plot, is that the right word? I don't know. There's a whole scene after they leave the pub. They're going to do this whole chicken thing where they're going to jump over the drawbridge as it's going up. And Virginia gets upset about that. And you go, oh, just because it was dangerous. No, that's all going to come back. It all matters in this movie. Yeah, it's not clear until the second viewing, but this actually dislodges her repressions. This is a woman who had a near-death experience on this bridge and forgot it. And because they play this game, and only because they play this game, does she start remembering. If they had never done this, if she didn't get in the car with them, the killings would still happen, as it turns out. Yeah, that's the thing. It doesn't change the movie. <laughs> yeah, she just wouldn't know why. One killing has already happened before the game of chicken, and she is completely right to spaz the hell out. The car that goes over at the last minute <laughs> lands on its front bumper. How is he okay with, like, he has destroyed his car, and he doesn't seem phased by it. For 20 bucks, too. He was bet $20. I'm like, that is a whole lot of body work. I don't know where you can get a mechanic to fix that for $20. A, they're in Canada, so <laughs> it's 20 Canadian dollars. And B... These are the rich kids who obviously he didn't buy himself that car, so he's not going to value it. His parents will pay to fix it. But yes, she doesn't remember the accident because she suffered some kind of brain damage during it. It's not like it's repressed or anything so much as she just doesn't remember much about that time. But this is going to bring it all flooding back. And I think that makes her suspect number one. If you have a character that doesn't know parts of her identity that always makes you suspect maybe you're capable of murder and not knowing it i assumed that that's where they're going with this but she's triggered enough by this she wants to jump out of greg's car moving at top speed she runs off into the woods and wanders to the gravesite of her mother and this is where i really had that bright light of thinking oh it's the mother on the grave it's actually inscribed you are with us still and i thought oh they're teasing something that's a clue Turns out, yes, in the original draft, her ghost was possessing her daughter to be the killer. And while that sounds really novel, Halloween itself was a derivative of Psycho. And so to see Mother be the killer is not necessarily all that original idea. But instead of doing this Oedipal thing, it's an Electra complex. It's the daughter and the mother. I feel like that's interesting. You could do something there. And I thought... That is why Virginia's got to be the killer because you're focusing so much on her. There's a dead mom. The dad seems really concerned that she was visiting that grave. I'm like, there's got to be something going on between that mother-daughter that's going to cause these killings. Yeah, the father's so concerned. Why were you visiting that grave? That's in our backyard. <laughs> <laughs> Next to the crime scene where she died and the cottage where the birthday party happened that triggered the whole thing. Yes. Montreal's very small. It's all <laughs> really right there. Tight-knit community here. To get from the house to the cottage on their property, you walk past the tomb. I mean, I'm not saying this is a bad set. I'm saying she's buried in the backyard. Yeah, the dad even says he doesn't want her digging into the past. So that makes him a suspect too, I think. The fact that something in her past might be something he doesn't want to remember. Again, what did he do? I wonder if he could possibly be... I really didn't know. I thought it was Virginia, but I'll be honest. Throughout this entire movie, I am just salivating wondering... Who the hell is it? I had no idea. All right. I was getting drunker. <laughs> and so 
it's hard for me to say I was using my full faculties on the whodunit, but I never thought it was Little House on the Prairie because it seems too obvious when they finally tell us it is. I'm dumbfounded and I'm still not believing the movie. I'm like, wait, what? And truthfully, watching it the second time and looking at it, the killer's a guy. I don't care who they tell us the killer is. The stuntman wearing the outfits has no hips. The coat is way too straight, way too filled out in the chest, and way too flat in the hips. It is a male who is standing in as the killer, and all of these women are very curvaceous. Yeah, but it's not ATN. I mean, the foreign exchange student who's wearing the gloves, who pops out in the cemetery here, who follows her home. She doesn't want around because, I don't know, he's French, I guess. <laughs> There's so much of this in this film. I mean, right from the beginning, you have a kill that's not just a choking scene, but then you got to get your throat slashed, and now you're going to have this huge other fake out, yeah, with this guy who's going to, what, ultimately just steal her panties? And she seems to have a very neat bedroom, right? Everything is orderly, very well set, decorated. She just leaves her panties on the floor. She looks like a hamper kind of girl. And what, again, what is the bouncer wow wow as she's taking off and showing us her bra? Again, I feel like this movie is trying to be like other slashers, but just a little too reserved. Yeah, it's a little too pokey. It doesn't give us a titty shot. It's The kill scenes are bloody when we get them, but they are infrequent. I think that they just like drawing it out here they spend an inordinate amount of time telling us something that we knew from the get-go atn is not going to try and kill her here in the bedroom he is apparently just a panty thief and as soon as she sees the window she gives a scream as a completely unneeded scream a scream that tells us that she's fearful i guess I would say that it tells us that Melissa Sue Anderson is doomed to nothing but bad slasher flicks after Little House is canceled. <laughs> Perhaps. But then in her next scene, she's giggling with her best friend, Anne, and they're running late for biology class where Mrs. Patterson has to be ranking on your suspect list as well. She hates these rich kids, despises them. I mean, doesn't even try to hide it. So if someone's knocking off all the rich kids, I mean, I definitely think, certainly if you saw Friday the 13th, she looks a lot like Mrs. Voorhees. She's got to be on your suspect list. Never was on mine. I guess I just don't watch enough slashers because I never suspected anyone but Virginia. I felt it had to be somebody young. I didn't think... The only adult who I possibly suspected was Virginia's dad, and I'll talk about why later, but... I never thought her, nor did I think the science teacher, that Rudy the prankster makes his hair stand up on end, which the class has never seen a joke before because they laugh like that's the best ever. They've never played with balloons or static electricity. <laughs> but the thing is, this causes a flashback. And again, this is telling me something's going on with Virginia. Maybe she's schizophrenic. She's not remembering what she's doing because we found out what she had something done to her brain. She was an experiment, she says. Yeah, when she finally gets to her therapist, a lot is explained that, about this flashback. She's looking at frog legs that are moving under electrical current and imagining herself doing the same thing back in a hospital, bald of all things, and finally sitting up and saying, my birthday. Let's not forget the great special effect, though, before we get away of that, of the science teacher zapping Rudy on the nose. <laughs> no expense was spared in putting a cartoon in the middle of this movie. But this is the kind of stuff that interests me, though. Like, this 
isn't just going to be a straight slasher film where there's a killer walking around killing everyone. Like, we got this weird backstory of brain surgery going on, too. How is this all going to fit together? That's what really kept me interested the first time I watched it, even though I didn't like the pacing. I felt it was really slow. It's a total red herring. I mean, when you really think about the movie, once you find out who's doing it and why, it's almost just happenstance that she had this impairment. If she had her memory of the time that happened, it wouldn't change a thing. I don't know what you get out of having her have this brain injury other than it just makes her suspicious that she doesn't know what she does for part of the time. She has blackouts that things seem to trigger her, like going across the bridge or watching the frog legs. Leads you to believe that she's capable of doing something during the blackout phase. However, it does add one other thing. Gore. I remember, and I never saw this movie, but when I was going to the horror section in the video store, there was one with a big sticker, contained seven minutes of real open heart surgery footage. (laughs) My father was a cardiologist. I actually got to see that all the time. I didn't need to rent that one. But you will get to see a little bit of brain surgery. You do see her locked up, writhing. They discuss some pseudoscience about how when you cut off the tail of a lizard, it creates an electromagnetic field to grow Mm. the tail back. And so they're growing that field around her head or some pseudoscience there. But in a horror film, you can't negate the need for gore and gross outs. And later on, we're going to remove her skull cap. That's going to give one of those. Now, again, we know behind the scenes, it was actually supposed to mean something plot wise. It's really poor screenwriting. If they inserted all this backstory and it doesn't have any payout the way it doesn't in the final edit here, but there was the, yeah, there's her skull being popped off and there she is. It's a very convincing bald cap. Yeah, I mean, all the brain surgery stuff is pretty freaky to me, like when her brain starts swelling and they're like trying to stick that piece of skull back in there. It's gross. Uh, It works in that way, and I think this movie could use more of it. I know this director. We've seen his work before. He made the most violent of the old Planet of the Apes movie, Conquest, if you remember that one. He also made Battle, too. But J. Lee Thompson, he's going to be making one of the Death Wish movies we're covering very soon. And yeah, he just had a connection to the genre. He liked a lot of splatter, and he tried to work that in where he could. He also had a connection to Glenn Ford and got this established screen icon to come back and do what I had to believe, if you're getting Glenn Ford, another potential suspect. I mean, come on, a therapist in an 80s movie? Yeah, they're bad. They are potentially putting ideas in your head. If Virginia is doing the killing, it's because he's telling her to. That was my running theory. Virginia's the killer, and... Doc here, the psychologist, he's either, yeah, directing her, it's playing something out to get over this repression, he's covering it up so she doesn't know she's doing it. I thought he was involved somehow. And to me, it's Glenn Ford. It's Superman's pop. I could see nothing but kindly paw Kent there. And then I found out that, like, he literally punched one of the people on set and was so upset that his career had come to (laughs) happy birthday to me (laughs) that he was violent Yeah, he was drunk. From what I understood, he just showed up drunk. Oh, he's like Arnie watching this. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't punch anyone. (laughs) So he says. Anyway, but yeah, I definitely feel like he's very interested in her healing and seems to have no boundaries. He's hugging her all the time. And I'm just thinking, is this something to do with that past that the dad doesn't want to remember either? I don't know. But there are so many plausible, by slasher movie standards anyway, suspects here. I was not clear. But I was wondering, is anyone else going to die? It's it's really taking a while. (laughs) 30 minutes until we get ATN going into his bicycle. 
She's even calling him David, not Dr. Faraday. It actually confused me after a tenth of tequila. Which one was the father? Which one was the psychiatrist? When is somebody going to die? Well, look, as soon as a dirt bike race showed up, I knew how the next person was going to die. Yeah, and ATN had been, quote, suspect number one by breaking into her house in the middle of the night. And yes, he was having those panties next to his heart during his motocross rally. And so the second you see him wearing that scarf doing the tune-up, though, we know, right? It's obvious. That's bad. That's like not putting your hair up in a ponytail when you're around a drill or something. You got long hair. You don't wear a scarf. I read that was based on a real accident that happened, and I can believe it because this is the most believable of deaths. You didn't need a murderer for him to die. Again, wearing that Hogwarts scarf, working on a bike that's going... It is an inventive kill. One good thing about slasher films is you want to have all these different deaths. The strange thing is, this is the most plausible accident ever. Nobody's going to suspect a murderer came along and tossed that scarf in, but no bodies are found. It's not like they all came around the next day and were like, oh, NTN, he was so good and we just will miss him from this accident. It's where is he? They think he's off with Bernadette shacked up in a motel somewhere shagging because they don't know he's dead. Why would you screw with a perfectly good accident like that? Well, because they want the body for the end. But. Yeah, because we will find out it's part of the M.O. of the real killer, who is not Virginia, but well, I guess we'll talk about pretty soon that they are collecting these bodies for a final incriminating murder scene. It's got to be Alfred, right? Because he's not at the pub. Yeah, and we've seen him giving glowering looks at ATN. He, we know that he really likes Virginia, and for ATN to be sexually harassing her, he's got to be maybe doing this out of her honor. And I don't know, does he wear white tennis shoes? We're starting to see the killer. We, we get a lot of foot shots when ATN goes into his wheels. I'm thinking, honestly, Agatha Christie here. There's the top ten. I'm thinking it's ten little Indians. If nothing else, we've reached the 30-minute mark. It's time for them to start dying. There's ten of them. I figure it's going to end with one, I thought. I thought it would just be Virginia. We would have eight more deaths along the road. No, not only <laughs> is it one of the ten is the killer in the end, Four of them aren't even going to die. Yeah, we'll see one just kind of freaked out at the end, standing there in the rain. We think, because there's this Elite Ten, that they're the targets. We will find out through the flashbacks, really late in the movie, that it was six people invited to a birthday party four years ago. And that there were four other ones. Well, they didn't even know about that party. Rudy and Maggie weren't around when Virginia was originally enrolled and tried to integrate herself into Crawford Academy. But Alfred, Alfred was, and Alfred keeps not being there when people are looking for him, and he's really creepy, and so they sneak into his place and explain to me what he's doing. <laughs> they are such good friends, they have never been in his bedroom to know that he makes, like, what, fake heads? Is that supposed to be Bernadette's head? Yeah, we saw her throat get slashed. I assumed it was totally taken off by the razor. If he's making a cast of her face... You wouldn't smear it with blood. So this is like reenacting what he presumes to be her death without knowing that she was killed. Yeah, I took this as he was creepy. They talk about him doing taxidermy. Now, I don't think taxidermy leads to Hollywood makeup effects. I think it leads to log cabins and hunting. But what we're supposed to take here is he's a special effects guy, you know, like Chainsaw and Dave in summer school to go much later in time than this movie. But that same kind of thing, like Corey Feldman in Friday the 13th Part 4. 
I always take it as horror movie makers love the craft of horror movie making, so oftentimes you will have an effects person in it. But was, like, he's such good friends with Bernadette, like, she sat there and let him do a mold of her head before she yes. was killed. Yes, he said that. Like, she was the only one of the top ten that knew that he was doing this stuff. He said that in a really, like, creepy, I'm going to get you, girls. Now you can be my models. I mean, which sounds like a threat. In what way is he not the killer at this point? <laughs> They've worked so hard to lead you into this misdirection they can't explain any other explanation than he is someone that would kill them but no he's a stalker he's a stuffer and judging by the poster behind him a star trek fan yes i noticed that too (laughs) but he's not a slasher and that is weird and they never even reference this later she's like you can buy me a drink i'm like why would alfred still be someone you'd hang out with if he's making molds of your friends severed heads why is he in the clique? If he's in the clique, you'd hang out with him. Hey, Screech hung out with the coolest kids at Bayside. There's always one. And he's a good goalie. I mean, we will see a soccer match where he stops the penalty kick. Yeah, he's a jock and a horror nerd and a Trekkie. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, an obsessive, sexually frustrated is what you get. He's sort of the Norman Bates. He's the one that you would definitely conclude has to be the killer here as the body count goes down. Maybe you were thinking it was Greg. I doubt it. He's the jock that seems really aggressive. He's the one that will pick the fight with the Shriners in the bar. And he's the one that can't bench 150 pounds. Who says, hey, add 10 pounds to what I'm benching? Oh, hey, add 50 more after I've done a whole bunch of reps. And then why couldn't he just take that barbell and, like, go backwards with it? I mean, he has his arms fully extended. It it is pretty difficult. Oh, yeah, I understand. I've done some lifting. But still, if it was above you, you could fall to one side with it. You wouldn't just stand there until it finally, well, you see them coming at your nuts with another weight. Yeah, that that is the thing. Like, she drops 10 pounds or more, maybe, on his balls, and that's that's going to hurt, man. Even if that thing doesn't decapitate you when it falls, man, your nuts are going to be aching. Again, you never see it coming. I'm like, oh, yeah, she's going to just keep adding weight until it crushes him. That's the obvious thing. You know, this is the importance of having a good spotter, right? You know, and a good bench that doesn't have a detachable rack. <laughs> but he knows who this is. He's like, oh, it's you. He knows this is supposedly Virginia. I don't know if Virginia's the one you want spotting you when you're <laughs> lifting this much weight he might think it's Anne. we don't know if she has the mask on at this point he could be talking to either of them would it matter both girls though i'm not saying anything bad about girls i'm just saying these two girls don't look like they'd be good spotters yeah i agree they don't even lift no and we're 45 minutes in i'm wondering are things going to pick up now that they're starting to die but one interesting thing that i found here is that the click is very strange. They seem to be very polyamorous. It's not like they're specific in this click boyfriends and girlfriends. It's not like the T-Birds and the Pink Ladies where each one kind of paired up. Here, we're going to see that anybody could be going with anybody at any time and people disappear and they just kind of hook up with anyone else. And even Virginia is going to show herself to be a little bit promiscuous. Well, I think Greg was exclusive with Amelia. She's the one that comes into the weight room with the anchovy pizza and finds everything cleaned up and almost gets hit with the free weight from behind the door. I never saw her messing with another guy. But again, these women have such similar looks, keeping track of them. Where the confusion is happening is there's this prankster named Rudy. And then there's this other guy, Steve, who's 
a chronic better. He's always betting on everything. And they both have an interest in Maggie. And so that is some source of tension. Is that a reason to start killing your friends? Some of this comes out at the soccer game where Steve is betting with Rudy. And so that doesn't really help me to say one's a better. I do want to know what kind of soccer game has cheerleaders. I've been to a lot of soccer games. A French-Canadian soccer game? Yeah, Canada. Exactly. This is not America if there are that many people excited about soccer. But yeah, the nerd is stopping the penalty kick and Rudy scores the winning goal. And yes, all of a sudden he's showing interest. I think out of spite, maybe to show Maggie and Steve that he's not going to take being rejected and not being invited to high noon as, you know, he's not going to take that line down. He's going to take this new girl up to the bell tower in another scene that makes absolutely no sense to me. No, first of all, we see him bury something in a garden. On the way to the bell tower. Yeah. The sense is that he thinks everything is hilarious that is about making people believe that the Elite Ten are being murdered. But they are being murdered. Yes. And he doesn't know it. But the movie now is going to try to make us think it's him doing it. When he takes Jenny or Virginia up into that bell tower... It feels kind of datey. It feels like the two of them off together, exploring together, kind of having a bit of a date, going somewhere very private. And then he pulls out this knife and is like, wouldn't it be funny if I cut this rope? And I'm like, it's not going to hurt anybody. The bell's not going to fall. You're just going to have a falling rope. Well, no, he goes, I've got a knife. Come over here, Virginia. Like now it's turning into date rape. Yeah. Well, no, (laughs) again, I think he thinks it's funny to scare her. Like this is like... God, I hate guys like this that just think that, yeah, I mean, going too far and it's so great that you think there's a body buried in the garden that's us, but it actually just is from the science lab. Is he in no way concerned that his friends are in fact disappearing? I would be a little bit more alarmed at this point now that there's no indication that they're alive. It's only been a couple of days, though. I don't think it's quite time to get worried, but it's getting near time to get worried. Is it time to plant the skeleton? Is I guess all I say. Is it time to go after Virginia with a knife? And in the way that they film it, really make it seem like he's about to stab her. But probably in that moment where she has a blackout goes, oh, I'm just kidding. See, and I thought... He, I didn't think he was fucking with her. I didn't take that as one of his pranks. I took that as him basically fucking with us, the audience, because I'm like, this is being filmed like he's the killer. It's being filmed like he's saying, I'm going to kill you. But I didn't take it as him actually threatening her. I thought we were basically seeing a subjective point of view, her point of view, heightening the fear when he may not actually be that creepy. And I thought they were trying to tell us again that here's Virginia the killer because we're going to see a rope covered in blood. And then Virginia's walking to the hospital and she looks at a body that is covered up, but it looks like a guy underneath that blanket on the gurney as she's going to see her psychiatrist, David, again. I'm like, does she black out and go crazy and kill him? And she sees him for a second at the hospital? Yeah, first we're led to believe that Rudy stabbed Virginia and that was the source of blood in the bell tower and then when we see her running around we have to believe that she killed him and doesn't remember it because she's having these blackouts and David is like no 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 you're just remembering the operation to which I said did she not have anesthesia why would she remember the brain surgery because you're awake for brain surgery I hate that that is my ultimate fear 
there's many times during brain surgery where they have to like touch parts of your brain and see if you can still speak and see if you can still move stuff. They do a blocker and I guess they give you some kind of drug. The My wife had it during a surgery. She calls it the I don't give a shit about anything anymore drug. I, it has to be pretty extreme no. for me not to care that my skull cap is removed. That is, you've just, yeah, that, that just made this scene all the more disturbing <laughs> to know that there is a factual basis for it. I just thought it was sloppily produced and it is, but it is also touching on the horrors of brain surgery in 1980. I think it's still the case today, oh, but stop. oh my God, I just, <laughs> no. Oh God. Anyway, I love David's reaction. At first, he's just like, oh yeah, it's just the operation. Then she's like, no, I really killed this dude in the bell tower. And he's like, okay, I'll check it out. Go home. <laughs> and by that, he means I'm going home. Like we see him the next day reading the paper, watching the TV. People are reporting that there's blood in the bell tower. He's starting to think, mm, okay, maybe I should do my job. Yeah, his job is detecting. Of course, the person who delivers his newspaper, I thought that was Rudy. I'm like, are we seeing Rudy's alive because he's tossing a newspaper on the doctor's door? How does Rudy know the doctor? But I think it was just at a distance, some other teenage 20-something newspaper delivery guy. Takes you back to the day. I always wanted to have a paper route. I guess I guess I'll never have that job. Uh be glad you didn't. Yeah, okay. Yeah, fair enough. Anyway, Rudy is alive. He went to the hospital overnight because when cutting that rope, ha ha ha, I slid open my hand. And what exactly did Virginia do? What is his point of view of Virginia's blackout when she just <laughs> leaves him there with a bleeding hand like a stuck pig? Yeah. And again, he is going to just show up as they're digging up the fake skeleton in the courtyard. As cops are finally doing their job and like all the students are around him and they're fighting something out in the garden for some reason. I don't know what tipped him off to dig there. But yeah, he's just going to swoop down from like, I don't know, some banister in the library to reveal himself to Ginny. Yeah, why don't you laugh off expulsion, Seinfeld? Because that's what would happen <laughs> if you showed up like, I, yeah, I planted a fake skeleton and I've disappeared and cut the rope in the bell tower and spilled my blood all over everything and cried wolf about a killer that everyone seems to believe is real. But the girlfriend of Greg is crying. At this point, they've accepted people are probably dead. Yeah, but this was the 80s, pre-Columbine. You wouldn't get expelled for things like this. Trust me, I know. <laughs> I do know that you would know. <laughs> and I also want to point out it's an hour into this movie, and we still aren't at the birthday party. And that surprised me, because I assumed the kills would happen at a birthday party, slumber party situation, that that's where we would see the bowling pins get knocked down in quick succession. I honestly was thinking April Fool's Day, that really bad movie we reviewed last summer. Yes, that was on my mind this time watching it. Well, I want to just defend it and say not everyone thought it was bad, but yes, it was a movie we reviewed last summer as part of <laughs> Horror of 1986. Yes. And it is a movie in which it plays pranks on the audience, much like this one does. And when you get both Rudy faking his own death and later on, some blonde in an aquarium is faking her own death. Yeah, she pretends to drown. I was wondering, is anybody really dead? We've seen no corpses. What that girl ends up doing is she's imitating the death of Virginia's mother, but we don't know that yet because we haven't had that flashback. It's not until that flashback that we know why this is all called Happy Birthday to Me. Like, that's when it starts to come into focus. Right. But she is starting to talk about it at this point. She is inviting David, her therapist, to the birthday. She wants her dad to go there, but the dad 
has this cap and oil fire somewhere in Canada. Yeah, he's very wealthy. But wait a second. Who the hell was that? Was that Amy in the water? Because these are friends. You wouldn't make fun of her dead mom if you were friends. Well, that is Maggie. And she is mad because Virginia is hanging out with Rudy again, smoking dope. And that's her guy or was sort of. And so, again, it's hard to keep track of who's supposed to be with who. But, yeah, my sense is that that's a jealous girlfriend mocking the new girlfriend. Yeah, Ginny goes from Rudy, and I I get why you'd break up with him or not want to hang out with him. Now she's with Steve, and they're, what, they're going to cook some shish kebabs over the open fire? Yeah, man, yeah. If if you remember the poster, you know where this is going. This is the reason I saw this film. I'm like, oh, that looks fun. I make really good midnight snacks. She does, too. Wine, marijuana, and shish kebab. (laughs) Yeah, this is what was surprising me is when she went home with him, she'd gone out with Rudy earlier, and now she's going home with Steve. And I'm like, wait a second. Usually our final girl is the virginal one. Here, she's getting high, she's going home to have sex, and I'm trying to figure out, is this movie playing by the morality rules of most slasher films? I don't think it is. No, I don't think it is, and I also just want to point out, this is the actions of the character. By the end of this movie, we will have to reevaluate some of these scenes and say, oh, that was someone pretending to be Virginia, but this is Virginia making those choices. She said, I want to get high and eat shish kebab with you. Who on the poster is labeled John, but he's actually named Steve. And I don't know how you die with a shish kebab in the mouth unless you go up, right? You got to go into the brain. I suppose you could eventually bleed out. It looks more like serious tonsillectomy accidental (laughs) than death. Yeah, I mean, painful, certainly, but instantly fatal, no. I do love the next morning Anne comes over. And I guess perhaps this is a clue. If you thought she was a suspect for some reason, I don't know why you would, that she's barely in this movie. (laughs) You'd suspect her because she isn't any reason true doing anything to be suspicious but i love it she's like i want to hear all the gory details and yeah you could think oh i want to hear about how you guys made out but she really say you know it's a play on words there because she knows what happened to steve yeah we should probably just go ahead and say that Anne will be revealed eventually to be the killer total shock to me i guess you could suspect she might be a part of it but but the plan that she works out i don't think anyone you have to be a genius or an idiot to do to invest the time and years and makeup effects to do what she's going to do but this is where we get the crucial memory of virginia wakes up she doesn't remember anything with steve although she did go home with him but she doesn't remember it she's going to take a shower and as the water falls on her she remembers the car accident and that her mom committed four years ago. And this is like almost a suicide, right? Because she and her mother are on this drawbridge and they fall in the water. Mom drinking. Yes. That takes some talent to stop in the middle. I mean, like, you got to be really stupid. So like, <laughs> as the bridge is coming out, I'm going to break right as I straddle between the two sides. The daughter is smarter than the mother because she does say backup. She apparently knows it's a real wheel drive vehicle and going forward isn't going to help them. <laughs> but either way, they go under. So the mother's seatbelt, you didn't have to wear it. It wasn't law back then. But because she wore it, this is an anti-seatbelt message. Because she wore it, she's going to die because it's jammed. Yeah. Now, the car is slowly filling with water. Mm-hmm. The mother knows the seatbelt is jammed and is immediately like, I'm going to roll down a window. Hold your breath. You escape. How about, hey, Jenny, help cut me out of the seatbelt real quick and let's both swim out of here. And it's only a few feet up. I mean, this is clearly a pool work. I was probably the same pool where they shot that 
that scene with Maggie. But yeah, the car is only a few feet under the water. And when she swims up, the point is she runs into the barge. That's where she gets the head injury that means that she's in a vegetable state. I guess for four years. We're to understand this happened four years ago. Yeah, because Rudy doesn't know her. She's like, you weren't with us four years ago. During all of that time, her academic career has been lying more or less in a comatose state with occasional leg kicks like the frog getting electricity. But she's not four years behind in school when she comes out. I didn't take it that it took four years for her to completely regenerate. I thought that it took a while But I just guessed that she has a full head of hair, okay? So they're doing this after the brain surgeries and everything else. And she was awake for the brain surgeries. And obviously, she's had time to grow her hair back. I kind of thought she was just homeschooled for a while and got to go to senior year at this school. Yeah, she has, by her own choice, gone back to the place where all of this happened. They live in the house. The dad doesn't want to, but she is there because something impels her. I think it's because she wants to unlock memories that no one will tell her. People could tell her what happened. Everyone else knows, but they've just chosen not to tell her your mom is a hoe that didn't know how to drive. (laughs) Yeah, because that's the second flashback we're going to get a little bit later, is this was all on, what, Jenny's 14th birthday? Yeah, probably. And this is some Joan Crawford mommy dearest shit going down (laughs) here. It is so melodramatic. So she's a freshman in high school. And it's still played by a 29-year-old actress. Yeah, that's awesome. (laughs) And she invited all the cool kids, of whom she was not one, to her birthday party. And because they're nouveau riche, her mother's like, they will be here. And it's only six. It's worth pointing out that Rudy, Maggie, Amelia, they weren't at the school or considered the rich kids. It's Anne. It's Greg. It's Steve. It's Alfred, it's Bernadette, and it's Etienne, who I thought was a foreign <laughs> exchange student. If you've been there for four years, you're not a foreign exchange student. You're just a student at that point. Here's my question. So none of the kids show up to the party. What's the mom going to do? Is she going? Is she driving out there to pick them all up and force them to come over? No, no, no. Jenny was very understanding, and she wasn't all that upset. She even lied to her absentee father and said, no, all the kids are here. But she'd overheard that Anne was having a party that night. So maybe if Anne hadn't been having a party, the cool kids might have showed up. I don't think so. So they share a mom and a birthday. No. 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 Okay, I'm confused. I think Anne was throwing shade. She's like, oh, you're going to throw a party and invite my friends to there? And you're this bastard child? I'm going to throw a party and they're going to come to my house. And four years later, I'm going to kill them all and pretend (laughs) I'm you. Yeah, I I didn't get that because I didn't put together the half-sister thing that... Anne obviously knew about even back then. I just took it Anne was having a party. Yeah. Not a birthday party, Correct. just a party. Yeah. And the cool kids wanted to go hang out with their friend and not go to a freaking chaperoned cake and candles birthday party in some cottage near a graveyard. But what was in it for Estelle? I guess legitimacy. She had felt like she was the other woman and had been tossed out and here banging on the gates like the security guard <laughs> is just like, you can put your your daughter in school but will never accept her and so she wants to feel like she's you know, the rich housewives of wherever the hell this is yeah in fact i think the doorman there says we'll never accept you they'll accept the daughter but they remember her when she was a trashy two dollar hoe is what it is she married a rich guy and felt like instantly she should be 
in with the people who have always snubbed her. And I think when she was poor, she tried to work her way up by seducing whoever she could who was wealthy, including Anne's dad. Which is why the mom should be involved with these murders somehow. <laughs> like, Yeah, and was in the first draft of this script. She has a line, I'll make them all pay. And indeed, that was the point of all of this. It explains, it actually works better. It makes so much more sense than the explanation that Anne did it because her family ended up in divorce because of all of that. Can I just say how crazy it is to say it makes more sense that brain tissue from the dead mother has inhabited the spirit and the daughter to cause a revenge from beyond the grave than actually having a living person do the killing. I would have had no problem if that's what it was. Honestly, I'm kind of digging this film, even though the, the pacing's bad, but I've liked the gore. I've liked this weird tangent of brain surgery and the fact that when we go, you know, we got these flashbacks, but in present day, like, what? Anne is found drowned in the bathtub. Ginny goes to get David, and then the body is gone. I'm like, oh, th this is David covering up for her. This is juicy. This is good. I'll go with ghost brain stuff at this point. I wouldn't have had a problem with that. Yeah, I agree. I Up to this point, uh, we've go jumped ahead to talk about some things and, and explain things that were revealed at the very end. But all that we really know is that there is another dead body that Virginia can't prove happened and that no one will believe her. And is this a mind game? Is this Dr. Faraday doing something awful to her? We've seen at this point that she's killed. At this point, with the skewering of Steve, we've seen the face and the action. We also saw her kill Alfred as well, that he came to her with a white rose at the gravesite, and that we did see that she is the killer. I thought they kind of made that look like it might be an accident, though. She's trimming, you know, the grass around her mother's grave, and Alfred kind of snuck up on her. He had those black gloves. They're going to do another fake out. So I thought maybe that was supposed to be accidental, but with Steve, there's no question. Yeah, I saw her stab him, and it's filmed very weird, too, because there's a lot of jump cuts. You're seeing the shears, you're seeing Ginny's face, but you don't get, like, a full body shot of Ginny stabbing Alfred, and that could be because they didn't have the money to actually do that kind of an effect at a distance, but... I wondered, was it a dream sequence? Was it something else? And so even when we saw Alfred killed, I didn't believe it. It was like you said, Jacob, the next to death where I'm like, it's really that? I was three sheets to the wind by this point. So I'm <laughs> screaming. I'm like, ah, fuck this movie. Yeah. <laughs> I think that there is an overuse of close-ups because I think when we would see these scenes in their first incarnation, we wouldn't see who stabbed him. But at the very end, they would replay them and show that it was Virginia. Like, surprise, ta-da, it's her. And then I think when they made the choice to have it be Anne, well, then let's show them Virginia because that misleads you yet again. You believe Virginia's been the killer for the last 20 minutes, and so she goes to get this fire poker, and, I mean, my God, what she does to the therapist, it's like... He's a pinata made by Tom Savini. That is like a blood pinata. My God, that'd be fun to have, honestly. I, I hope I get that for my birthday. Whack that head and it is all over the room. Yeah, there's a lot of mess there. And it's a very clean fire poker. It's never poked a fire, but it's going to be pretty bent up after this death. It was something really to see. Yeah, maybe the best kill in the movie. I wish we got to see more of it on screen. The one thing that hurts this film's gore factor, it's got some, 
but obviously there were severe budgetary limitations. Right. And apparently it only got this much in because the MPAA thought the director was in good standing because he had made classic films that weren't spatter films. They were willing to work with him and include more gore than maybe they even wanted to. So it could be worse. It could be tamer. But I think it's the slow pace that really hurts it. In a movie like this that's basically pure exploitation, you want to get kills fast and furious and the bloodier the better. And here, it is a long lag, but now that we've reached the climax with Father coming home, he honors the commitment, we're really going to get a whole lot of information very quickly. And honestly, I think that this movie would be better as it is if they cut the entire brain surgery out of it. Well, that's because it doesn't matter. I'd say make it a ghost brain story and keep it in. Okay, that would be better too. But no, it wouldn't. It actually wouldn't because it'd still be 20 minutes too long. I think we spend about 20 minutes on brain stuff and flashbacks. If you cut that movie out, I might like it better. I agree with you that there needs to be cuts. My choice would be Rudy. Yeah. Since Rudy is not even one of the kids that is going to be killed and put at the table at the very end. Having that whole thing with the bell tower and did he disappear and why plant the skeleton in the garden feels completely useless. And he never was a credible suspect. Honestly, I believe his girlfriend Maggie over him being the killer. I'm also going to say up the body count. If you have a click of 10, kill the 10. Don't give us this number and then say three of them don't matter. That is ridiculous and confusing. There's too many people. I thought that they'd be pared down quicker so we could get to a core group. You say cut Rudy. Yeah, cut him with blades. <laughs> yeah, and and they were supposed to. We have this very awkward scene. The dad is looking around. He's found the bloody room upstairs. He knows that his daughter is implicated or the victim of a terrible crime. He goes outside and we see Amelia. And that is Greg's girlfriend. She's standing there in the rain holding a present. That's it. We don't see her again. (laughs) No, but I love that shot. That tells you everything. Like, she walked into that cottage. I don't know if Anne let her go because she wasn't one of the original party goers. But I I do love what that tells you at this moment. Like, okay, now you're about to get to the good stuff. And at this point, Anne is wearing the Virginia mask. I'm sorry, but Anne, your hips, your ass, and your teeth, you could never pass for Virginia. They were going to kill Amelia, though. They filmed a scene where she got an axe through the head. So they were going to put her at the table, and it just couldn't cut the MPAA. So she got stuck in the rank. Okay, I I wondered why she was just standing there catatonic. I mean, yes, if Anne's goal at this cut of the movie, because here, at this point, we are definitely in Anne's the killer territory, not the mom's the killer, then having her be the witness, Anne couldn't possibly suspect there were actually cops on the grounds. And so to have Amelia escape would be something else. But yeah, the fact that she's just standing there as the father walks past and does nothing, (laughs) she's like a statue. Yeah. Well, and again, this tells me that, oh, the father knows something, that that ghost mom has inhabited their daughter, made her do something bad. Because I still think that's where we're going. He's going to walk into that cottage, all these corpses at the birthday table. Like, I love this stuff. Yeah, it's very Agatha Christie. Not to mention he passed by the graveyard and the casket's empty. So again, you think the mom is still with us. She is going to be there. And then we see her dead body. It's very psycho. It's a mummified Mm -hmm. corpse at the table with all of the characters. Even sitting in a chair, just like mother. Yeah. And so Rudy isn't there. Amelia got away. Uh, She walked out and didn't get the axe. And Maggie is not there. 
But everyone else from the Elite Ten, everyone that was supposed to be at the party four years ago was there. And a woman with her face down on the table, who we presume is Anne that drowned in the bathtub. And that's why we get fooled, I think, in the final surprise here. When Virginia enters with the cake, we don't know that it's Anne wearing a mask made by Alfred, I guess? Yeah, I guess Anne was the one good friend of Alfred. And I don't know how they got a mold of... Mm-mm. Was he in on it and then died? That seems unlikely. Yeah, we'll find out Anne was drugging Virginia to knock her out. Chloroform. I love that. Like, I get that chloroform might knock you out, but it won't make you forget that you were chloroformed. <laughs> I mean, you will remember that moment, like, coming back with the skewers and then, like, being held down for a minute in the hallway. I just got a picture, like, so... And chloroforms Ginny, like, drags her to Alfred's. He's, like, cool with this. Does a mold of her face. No questions asked. Yeah, okay. Yeah, why not? The, the logic of this movie, absolutely. That's exactly how it happens. Yeah, that is the problem with this twist. And literally, like, when another Ginny shows up, I'm like, oh, evil twin. That's the twist. Yeah, that's how what you think. She calls her sister, and you think, oh, it was a twin. And that was what the dad didn't want to be revealed and... We'll have all of that explained, but it is kind of wonderful and horrible that we have this fight where the mask gets ripped off and suddenly we're not looking at two Virginias, but Anne, who I guess we weren't suspecting. No, because I barely remember her in this film. Yeah, the second viewing really helped me to pay attention to who she was because there were so many people in this group and most of the deaths were men. And so there were still quite a few women around to choose from. And the thing was, again, a little confusing because of the jump cuts and because they can't do split screen. I don't really see the two at the same time. Is it a projection? Is this some kind of Tyler Durden thing going on? You know, here's the thing. You wouldn't suspect her because there's really no reason why she would kill her friends. You have to believe that she really did like those people. So to hate her sister so much that she'd kill them, well, it's not like she's sending her to prison, right? It's not like I'm framing you for a crime and you're going to go up the river. Or trying to drive her crazy, making her think she actually did it. Like, she reveals herself. Yeah. It's not that Ginny has to live with herself for the rest of her life thinking she blacked out and killed her best friends. No, and she's going to be killed here. She's like, all right, and now they get to watch you die. I'm going to put the murder weapon knife in your hand, get your fingerprints, and the cops are going to assume this was a multiple homicide and then a suicide. And this is going to leave Anne with only a couple of friends left. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Good luck having a, a the next high noon screening with Rudy and Maggie. Those real drips there. And I think Amelia's done. I think she's over it. But it's still bad. I got to say, at the end of the day, Virginia does not get away looking innocent because even though she didn't kill any of these people, except for Anne in the final fight, that's what the cop sees when they bust in. Yeah, and... Again, this is where I said she's coming up with the insanity defense, just standing there singing happy birthday to me in the creepiest fucking fashion imaginable. I love the song. Yeah. Uh, Sarita, I don't know who she is. Apparently, I looked it up. Stevie Wonder's ex-wife. But it's a fun song. I'll have my party alone today. Who cares anyway? <laughs> it sounds like something you would sing when you were having a murderous birthday party for yourself. As for the actual song, Happy Birthday to Me, I'm guessing they didn't actually pay for the copyright on that song. That was a big deal. 
happy birthday to you was copyrighted. That's why when you go to restaurants and things, they always are like, happy, happy birthday. We're glad you're at Chili's. Yeah. Not anymore, though. That that copyright's been struck down. You can sing it all you want. Yes. Just like in the past few weeks of this recording, that copyright is no more. But they sing that song in here. I'm betting they didn't pay for it. I'm sure they didn't. And maybe it wasn't copywritten at that time. I oh, it was. Oh, okay. Well, at any rate, that's the last birthday we celebrate with Virginia. No sequel, no further part of the plot, no stinger at the end at all. Feels ripe for a remake, though. But would you want one? Jacob, Stuart, was this a happy birthday for you, Jacob? You know, this is like, you've talked about a Transformer that you really want for Christmas. Not that Transformer 5 movies, but we're back in the 80s again. You really want, I don't know, Optimus Prime or whoever, whatever the cool Transformer is. And you, that's all you talk about. You tell your parents, tell your grandparents, and you see that box there at the birthday table, and it looks like the size of that Transformer you want. You lift it up, feels that weight, shake it. Things are looking good. You open that up, you are so excited, and you got a freaking GoBot. <laughs> that is how I feel about this movie. Like, it's got lots of weird stuff with brain surgery and these flashbacks. And yeah, the pacing's off. I was willing to forgive all of that until that damn twist at the end, which makes all those other points just uh, pointless. All the stuff with Virginia doesn't matter because she's not the one behind it all. And I guess it matters that her mom was a whore, but like the <laughs> fact that she had brain surgery, who cares? I wish they would have stuck with that original script because I could have forgiven all the other stuff that's going on here. Like, I like the gore in here. It's pretty good. I love that over-the-top birthday scene at the end with all the corpses, but it's just that twist just makes it stupid. It's a weak not recommend, but it's still a not recommend just because they ruined the story with that. So, so Matt, I, I think if this is a movie you saw as a kid, yeah, I could see really being into it because of just how gruesome it is, but coming to it later in life, yeah, that twist ruined it for me. It, it's unneeded, so weak not recommend. Stuart. Yeah, to me, I thought it was fun to be reminded what slashers were at the very start of the 80s. I mean, we have such clear notions of them being Freddy, Jason, Michael Myers, and all of that. But no, at this point in the game, everyone was just trying to be psycho. That included Friday the 13th. In Friday the 13th 1, there was no Jason. There was Mother. And everyone was trying to one-up each other on who can out-hitch-hitch, have that psychosexual twist, can put the best angle on their Norman Bates. Well, nobody outdid Hitchcock's in terms of motivations for the killer, but I do think some directors were able to match him in technique, and I was really thinking about Giallo's, those Italian slasher movies in the 70s, and how much better this would be. As ridiculous as it is, I would go with everything in this movie if it had the style of Dario Argento, if it looked like his best movies from the 70s, bloodier, weirder. I, I think that would really help this movie. My problem with this movie is it's poorly paced, it's very poorly directed, and it's kind of ugly to look at. But, and this is what's going to save it, I'm going to give it a brown arrow, which I guess is a green arrow, because we don't put brown arrows on the website. But what I enjoy about this movie is it's compulsively watchable because you cannot guess what is going to happen to next. I was on pins and needles throughout all the tedium and the ebbs and flows of the story because I just wanted to know where it was all headed. And right up until the end, it got me. I had 
No idea. I had a hazy memories of the weightlifting scene and of the climax. I had seen some portion of this movie as a child and had vague memories. I thought I knew what I was getting when I opened the box, but nope, it wasn't what I thought. And for that, I appreciate it. So it's a ridiculous movie, maybe more ridiculous than most slasher movies of the period. And that's really saying something. For that, it deserves something. I'm, I'm going to give it green. And unfortunately... Being my birthday, being a slasher film, I thought Matt was giving me a great present, and I opened it up, and it was the GoBot. Uh-oh. I got- Did you keep the receipt? Are you taking it back? <laughs> <laughs> I've been known to return a gift or two without receipts to Walmart, where they'll let you do that. Uh, yeah, it was bought here, but I was excited, thinking it was a slasher film. That's why I took it on the camping trip. What's better than a slasher film when you're out camping in the woods where you have no cell signal? I mean- a good scary movie, right? And my friends all gathered around to watch it, thinking, oh, if Arnie brought a slasher film, it's got to be good. Although I did tell him I haven't seen this one before, but it was picked by Matt. And really, here's the problems. It's way too long without a lot of action, with characters who are indistinguishable, where we are literally, while I'm still sober, going, didn't she die in the last scene <laughs> with a girl who's on screen right now? It doesn't have enough base pleasures because there's no nudity, there's no sex. You know, some of that is what you want in a campy slasher film is you want to really appeal to that like 17 year old who's like, yeah, I get to see tits and blood, you know, that kind of thing. The closest you get is porno music with a bra shot of the little house girl and then some gore, but not a lot. And the kills are too spaced out, and the end was really confusing, even for my sober friends who were with me at the time. So, it's a pretty solid Red Arrow, too. It's not even a close call. When I watched it the second time alone, without any friends distracting me with their derision of the film, I liked it a little bit better, I understood the murder mystery a bit more, but I didn't find a lot of enjoyment. But I think if I'd watched this when I was seven... This would have been perfect. Keep in mind, I got into Friday the 13th and Nightmare on Elm Street when I was 12. I saw Friday the 13th Part 1, like the decapitation and things when I was 7. It scared the hell out of me and I didn't watch horror for four more years. If I'd seen this at 7 or 8, I think it's, to me, despite being a video nasty with MPAA problems, feels pretty PG, PG-13 to me. I could see this as good kitty horror, but man, I did not have a good time watching this movie. And again, it's not about Splatter. They hadn't figured out that that's what people wanted yet. They were trying to re-deliver Psycho, and I think that's a problem when you're not Alfred Hitchcock or Dario Argento. To me, my big reservation about recommending the movie is the idea that it's just not well made. Or even John Carpenter. I mean, keep in mind, you're going back to Psycho. Yeah, but that wasn't... That wasn't a whodunit. No, but it did have the slasher bits and it did have the titty shots. It had two of the three main women have explicit sex. The formula was there when this film was made. They just didn't know which one to follow. I do agree. Like, it should be more Argento. Like, those Italian slashers are just crazy. They just get crazy. <laughs> they're, they're just weird. It's delirious in the way that those giallos are, but it isn't as well made. And again, I just, I love the rich colors and the goblin soundtrack and all the things that can be added immeasurably to those kinds of movies. Nothing of which you have here. The soundtrack I heard was abysmal. I will, because I'm a completist like this, I do have on the way the piano score version <laughs> of this to see if it's any better it's better i don't even like the movie but i'm gonna watch it again with the other soundtrack and i 
think this is a really ugly and cheap looking film. And the only thing I can give it is the actors are passable for the film of its budget and its day. Be it a comedy film or a horror film, this is exactly the level of performance I expect. But fixable. I honestly, I'm shocked. Again, it was a success. I feel like they should have had a sequel three years later. Come on, follow me. Virginia is thrown in a psych ward. She has a complete breakdown. She escapes on her birthday and goes back to Crawford University. You don't have it be a murder mystery anymore. She's the birthday killer. She goes after Rudy, Amelia, Maggie, and she damn well better get Mrs. Patterson and Winston. (laughs) And you know what? I'd be up for a remake, too. Just make it a ghost mom remake. (laughs) (laughs) Don't do this weird twist at the end. Come up with something better. I definitely think a remake would be in order. They remade My Bloody Valentine. Why not remake this one? It seems really, pardon this bad pun, like a (laughs) no-brainer. Well, yeah, I agree. And again, what parts do you keep and what parts do you throw out? I mean, they have so much material here, honestly. You could remake half of it verbatim and it would still be unpredictable because there's so many directions that they could have gone in. You could make all of it in various sequels and end up with like Silent Night, Deadly Night, where part one is a crazy slasher and part three, your brain's in a jar. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Silent Night, Deadly Night. But uh, yeah, that does it for birthdays for next week. Although you can blow out the candles and make a wish. Next week, Death Wish. We're building up to the remake Bruce Willis has done with Eli Roth, and that's coming out in Thanksgiving. We'll be working through the five Charles Bronson movies to get there. Oh, we got some canon films coming up. (laughs) And that third one, that's all that I remember. That third (laughs) one is just like, whoa. That's a series that a lot of people have brought up, and I've always replied, They're doing a remake someday. And I say that about a lot of movies because there's a lot of remakes in the work. We're like, we're waiting for the remake. We're waiting for the remake. They actually announced a release date for the remake. So we're getting to Death Wish. I've never seen any of them. I've never seen a Charles Bronson film in my life. Oh, wow. Wow. Never? Not a single one? And he's made good ones. I want to say most of the ones that kids of the 80s have seen have been really bad. But Once Upon a Time in the West is one of my favorite movies. Yeah, that, Dirty Dozen. I mean, yeah, lots of stuff. I guess I've seen Dirty Dozen, and I didn't realize that was him. So I've seen that one when I was very young. But I'm looking forward to Death Wish. And while it was yet another birthday letdown for Arnie after years... At least you didn't roll under the desk. (laughs) No one stepped on your head. (laughs) I I can give you that mohawk. You still got the jewelry? (laughs) No. But I do want to say it was a happy birthday... Because, Matt, you supported the show. You keep us on the air. To all of our patrons, thank you. If you're not a patron, you can head there. We have a lot of bonus reviews available only for patrons of $10 or more. We started this this year with The Warriors. We've got Galaxy Quest, Coherence, Monster Trucks, Atomic Blonde. Hook? Don't forget Hook. Yes, Hook. And the other listener picked. The Legend of Hell House. So check that out. There's a link from our website. And I'm really excited to open my present in two weeks on my birthday. I have never seen it. I didn't even know about it. And apparently it was made before Happy Birthday to Me, but it sat on the shelf for years and years because it was just too nasty to release. But Bloody Birthday will be covered two weeks from today on my 44th birthday. And I do also want to remind everyone, we're doing our second live podcast review on September 24th, 
8 p.m. Eastern for Kingsman the Golden Circle. It's our second live podcast for everyone the Sunday night after it comes out here in the States. We hope you can join us for the review and then a Q&A after. Should be a lot of fun. So Matt, thank you for your pledge. Thank you for picking this movie. Jacob Stewart, thank you for joining me. And now it's time to blow out the candles. Let's get out of here. Aren't you having a good time? I'm sure, but uh, we could be having an even better time. Oh, really? <laughs> How? You could uh, go for a drive, have a toast. Shame on you, Steve. What would my father say? Thank you for listening to this episode of Now Playing, and we hope you've enjoyed the show. This sort of behavior simply must stop. And special thanks to Matt for his support of Now Playing and picking this movie to be reviewed. I'll never forget this. They don't know how it hurts, but they'll learn. You can help Now Playing stay on the air and hear bonus reviews by joining our Podbean patron campaign. Backers of $10 or more receive access to patron-only reviews, including The Legend of Hell House, Galaxy Quest, Atomic Blonde, Monster Trucks, The Warriors, Coherence, and Hook. Maybe we should all put in 20 bucks and the last one left takes off. Plus, come back to NowPlayingPodcast.com each Tuesday for another in-depth movie review. Thanks to donors and patrons, there has been a new, free, Now Playing Podcast every single week for nearly seven years. If you're both very good, you can be my next models. I think you'd be good models. You can find those hundreds of reviews in the NowPlayingPodcast.com archives. There, you can listen to reviews of film series such as Friday the 13th, Halloween, Psycho, Scream, A Nightmare on Elm Street, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and many more. Those things are over and done with. Don't bring them up now. Want to wish Arnie a happy birthday? You can do it on Twitter, where we are at NowPlayingPod, or on our Facebook page. Links to our social media pages are at NowPlayingPodcast.com. You cannot refuse. You must follow me into the tower. While at NowPlayingPodcast.com, be sure to join our forums, where you can discuss this film with other listeners. I gotta go. Now why don't you call a friend and invite them over? Now Playing is produced by Arnie Carvalho. My latest masterpiece. She is a masterpiece, isn't she? Now Playing is edited by David and Arnie. Make sure you tighten it, huh? Now Playing Credit Narration by Brock. You might think this is a joke, but I think it's sick. This podcast has not been prepared, approved, or licensed by any entity that created or produced the film Happy Birthday to Me. Now Playing is an independent movie review podcast with no affiliation with any company involved in the publishing, creation, or distribution of this film or soundtrack. All audio clips and music used are the intellectual property of their respective copyright holders. Lieutenant, do you mind if I take a look at that? Go right ahead, Dr. The opinions expressed at Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Enganza Media Incorporated. Please don't say anything about this to anybody. I, I don't want to get Rudy in trouble. Now Playing is a Venganza Media production copyright 2017, all rights reserved. And no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Venganza Media Incorporated. 
हैप्पी बर्थडे necessarily all that original idea yeah but it but instead of doing a uh, what's it called well, schizophrenia norman bates no 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 yeah what's it called when the the son wants to fuck his mom uh, Oedipal. Oedipal. takes me back to the day i always wanted to have a paper route i guess i guess i'll never have that job uh be glad you didn't yeah okay eh, big, fair enough anyway kids, kids i know still have paper routes their parents drive them though <laughs> I only got that when it was raining. Mm. Otherwise, I was on my bike. But they've just chosen not to tell her, your mom is a hoe that didn't know how to drive. <laughs> didn't know how to use a seatbelt. Uh, didn't know how to make a cake with the proper number of candles. You name it. It's Bernadette, and it's Etienne, who I thought was a foreign exchange student. If you've been there for four years, you're not a foreign exchange student. You're just a student at that point. Tell that to Fez from that 70s show. <laughs> Cerebral edema, she's finished. Close her up. <laughs>